Good morning, everyone. Um, before I, I begin my message this morning, um, the title of it is Heavy to Light. Uh, and you'll see why that's explained in a moment, but I actually have some heavy news to report just now. Uh, Dan just informed me, and I know that this family has been in your prayers, but uh, Tim and Lori Ryan, uh, Lori just texted um, Dan to share that their daughter Sarah has lost their baby this morning. And so um, sharing this news with you, I know this directly um, hits some of you um, in past life circumstances as well. It is an extremely difficult uh, situation, and some of you have walked through those very valleys yourselves. And so I would like to just ask if we could gather for a moment of, of silent prayer together. I'll close with a, with a prayer for the Ryan family, and then we're going to have our message this morning. Would, would you join me in prayer, please? Father God, we uh, come before you this morning um, exploring a, a very um, heavy topic, uh, and that is uh, the burdens that we carry in this life in preparation for eternity. And uh, we're reminded of that this morning with the news of uh, Sarah um, and uh, the loss of her baby. Father, I just uh, pray that your presence uh, fills that family. I pray for uh, every person who is here today who's heard this news, who has walked through this journey with somebody themselves or, or they themselves have personally walked through it. Um, it's a story that many of our families share, and it's painful for all of us when something this tragic happens. And so I just pray uh, that your divine wisdom and your divine will um, settle with this family in their minds and their hearts, give them the strength that they need to endure this day, and help this body of believers surround them in this time of need. We lift up the Ryan family at this time. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So, my message uh, this morning is focused on one key idea. And that idea begins with a question. How many of you are bringing some heaviness with you to worship today? I'm not talking about the heaviness that's associated with too much barbecuing as of late. Um, but I'm talking about spiritual heaviness. Burdens that require stress that talks about health, uh, talks about finances or relationships or stress in your family or, or stress at your work. Um, these are burdens that if we start to pick up more and more of them as we're walking through this life, sometimes those suitcases can become so full and so heavy and so many that we got to start putting some things down. We've got to move from heavy to light, to the feeling of lightness that comes from the joy of our faith in Christ. And sometimes that's hard because life circumstances get us to the point where we are simply overwhelmed with the burdens and with the stress. I, I read an article this week that says that stress is the 21st century health epidemic, that it is likely going to be a contributor to the tripling of Alzheimer's disease, the tripling of obesity, and the tripling of diabetes in the next 30 years. And it's stress-related. And the stress relates to our diet, the diet relates to our stress, and it all turns into this vicious cycle, and pretty soon our very lives on this earth are at stake. Stress happens to all of us, and at varying degrees throughout the course of our lives. And so I want to bring you to this idea today because I think it's one of the most important topics that we as a body of believers need to be honest about, that we need to be talking about. How do we move from the heavy 
that's inevitable for every one of us. How do we move from the heavy to return to the feeling of light? That feeling of joy and that lightness that comes in living a fruit-filled life. And we've been talking about Galatians 5.22 for several different moments in the past few weeks. And we'll get back to that in a moment when we get toward the end of this message. But bringing people to a relationship with Jesus Christ is part of, it is the mission of this church. It is through inviting and sharing and serving together that this mission is accomplished. But there's always that key question of the why. Why do we do it? Why is underneath all of it? And I believe I can answer that question here this morning. I truly believe that what's underneath that why is this. We all have a longing to encounter God, to have our lives transformed in His image, Not just for the hope that it will bring us today, but for the promise that it brings us for eternity once our lives are done here on this earth. Now that's quite a hope, and that's quite a promise. And we have this desire to not only ourselves, but to share with everyone we can what that looks like to encounter this kind of God. And I'm going to talk about what this kind of a God looks like. Lyle, I mean, this is almost like we planned this together. I'm going to be referring to some of the very things that Lyle talked about in this message today. We want to encounter that God. You see, our job as spiritually forming Christians, and isn't it true that we are always, constantly, spiritually forming We're never fully spiritually formed, but we're constantly spiritually forming ourselves in our faith. But our job is to believe God when he promises to work both everything that happens in our lives and everything that happens in our souls for the good of people who love him and who surrender to however he wants us to use them in this life. That is Romans 8.28, by the way. I just reworded it a little bit. But that's what we believe. This is what it means to encounter God. And see, I think the problem for us sometimes and the problem for our human brains and our human spirituality is we don't always agree with God about how he works everything in our lives, do we? We have things and circumstances that happen to us and we don't understand why and we turn to say to God, God, how come it didn't work this way? I wanted this and I got this instead. We all fight that at different times. And I believe that drawing toward God in the face of all of this is one of the challenges that we have as we walk through our faith. But this is faith, and it's faith that surpasses all understanding. The belief that no matter what circumstance comes in my life, just as we sang earlier, that we surrender and that we stay connected, we draw closer to God through every single circumstance. And it was the Apostle Paul who tells us that faith and love come from hope. And you see, hope is not the full satisfactions of the things we receive now, but it's rather what God promises us when we get home. That's where our hope begins. It begins in the eternal. It doesn't begin in the present. And so we work our way back from the eternal. I'll put it to you another way. How often do we grip things tightly? We grip things that we worry about that could happen in our lives. How many of us grip things all the time out of fear and out of worry? Anybody do that? We're constantly gripping things that we want to have control over. And here's the deal. I think we do this because we want to avoid pain. See, when we go through pain, whether it is with our health or through conflicts in our relationships 
or dealing with jobs or financial stress or loving a prodigal child who just doesn't want to seem to come home or seeing evil or bad fortune come to good people. We begin to absorb this heaviness. And this heaviness impacts how we think. It impacts how we act. It impacts how we interact with each other. And sometimes we begin carrying so many burdens that we can't help but become discouraged and angry and frustrated. So I want you to think about, as we work our way through this message this morning, I want you to think about what are you gripping right now? What are you fearing? What are you holding on to? Because here's what I know about this life. And I don't know a whole lot sometimes, but I do know this much. This life is temporary, it is fleeting, and it is uncertain. In the past week alone, here's some of the things that I have encountered with some of the friends who I consider close, close people to me. I have a friend who lost her grandmother last weekend on Father's Day. And the most difficult thing about that moment was that her dad broke down with her, weeping because his wife's not able to attend his grandmother's or his mother's funeral with him because four months ago she had a debilitating stroke. She's in the nursing home for the rest of her life. Decades of working and planning toward a retirement, and shortly after the work is done, this is where life is. It's a dream shattered in a way. And so that family is processing all of this. I have another friend who got a phone call on Wednesday. Her sister's husband's father, her sister's father-in-law, after spending a week with the family, no apparent signs of illness, all appears to be in good health. 66 years old, he dies in his sleep of a massive heart attack, and his wife finds him the next morning. After a week with his family, why does that happen? What's going on here? A good, good man my age, 43 years, one of the fittest athletes I've ever known. He was a star college football player and a track athlete. He's got a son who's one of the best athletes in the state right now. Found out a year ago, at 42, he had colon cancer. Never suspected anything. He's facing a chemo wash next week, and they're not sure if he's going to be able to survive the surgery. I could go on and on and on because I know what some people in this church have dealt with in the last year. Some of the pain, some of the trials, some of the burdens that come along. How about these recent Supreme Court decisions? If you get a chance this week, what I would encourage you to do is go online and look for what's called the dissenting opinions within the Supreme Court. That is, when, it's, when the Supreme Court makes a decision, 5, 4, 6, 3, whatever, You can see the writings of not only the reason why the decision was made, but those who voted against it will give their reasons for it. And one of the biggest things that is of interest to me, and it's a very fair question, how slippery is this slope going to start to get? Read Justice Roberts' dissenting opinion. Don't get scared by it necessarily, but be very prudent in understanding what this could mean for the future for faith-based institutions, for churches, for everything. These are signs of our times. There's struggles, there's burdens, there's all kinds of things that bring us to fear. And what fear does is it provides this temptation that when we're surrounded by this pain and suffering, when we're surrounded by sin, when we're surrounded about decisions that we don't understand, it causes us to want to grip tighter. And when we grip tighter, we hold those fears, we hold those frustrations, and we begin to isolate ourselves. And we're not called to live that way. I want to share with you from Ecclesiastes, the world that was 3,000 years ago, and see if this brings any, uh, any familiarity to you. Listen to what the writer in Ecclesiastes says. He says, so I hated life 
Because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it's meaningless. A chasing after the wind. I hated all things. I had toiled for, uh, toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise and fool or foolish. Yet they will have control over all of the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all the toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill... And then they must leave all their own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their day's work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. Boy, get that guy an antidepressant, right? That's pretty, that's pretty tough stuff, but you know, what, you know what's being said here. We work, we work, we strive, we strive, and one day what's going to happen? We're going to die and someone else is just going to take over. There's got to be more to life than this. And we get encouragement later on in Ecclesiastes by how we respond to this type of toil, this kind of trial, this kind of emotion. Ecclesiastes 9.7 says this, Go, in response to all of this, and in response to some of the craziness of the life that we live and the work that we put into it, we were reminded to do this. Go and eat your food with gladness. Drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. A key point in this message is simply this. Amidst the burdens, amidst the trials, amidst the pain that we go through, the one promise we have is we have today. We have this moment. And what we choose to do with this moment and what we choose to do with this time is, what we, is whether we decide to be God-honoring or God-fearing. I shouldn't say God-fearing, but should be fearing the life that we have. It releases us. I want to, I want to give you another example of this. I want you to look in 1 Corinthians 13, 12 and 13. This is not in your notes, but I wanted to include this because it's a critical, critical verse. Paul writes, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now he says these three things, amidst everything else we struggle with in life, amidst all the pain, all the burdens, all the uncertainties, these three things remain. He says faith, Hope and love. And you know this verse well enough to finish this sentence, but the greatest of these is love. If you're feeling doubt today, there is a faith in Christ that can trump that doubt. If you're feeling despair of any kind today, of whatever circumstances you're facing, there is a hope that beats that despair. And if you're gripping on to things that you fear... There is a love in Christ and only in Christ that can trump that fear. And here's what Charleston, South Carolina reminds me of. And I'm so glad Lyle brought this up because I have been thinking about this every day since this, since this shooting happened. Last week on one of those typical news programs where you get a bunch of talking heads sitting around a table and you got some on the left, you got some on the right, you got a moderator and everybody's giving their opinions on the matters of the day. They had the families of the victims of that shooting sitting on screen as they interacted with them. And I'm never going to forget this exchange. 
they went to a picture of the family who was grieving. And one of the, one of the people who was, was interviewed was the granddaughter of the minister who was shot. And just for, for just a second, imagine a church prayer meeting on a summer evening. And a man walks in with a loaded automatic weapon and just starts opening fire on people. And nine people are killed. And it turns out that the guy who did this did it simply because he hated the color of their skin. That's why he did it. No other reason. He hated them. Now imagine being put in front of all of America on a very popular news program and being asked to give your response. And you know what this teenage daughter of this minister said? She looked right in the camera and she said, I forgive him. I'm not sure what's going to happen to him now, but I do want him to know God for his eternity. I forgive him. And I sat there and watched that, and I had this immediate thought in my head, would I have the power to be there right now, myself? Do I have that kind of power to sincerely mean that? It's a tough question. But what she did that day did two things. Number one, it completely disarmed that panel. David Brooks was one of the moderators. He's a writer in the New York Times. He is not friendly to Christianity. Do you know what he said in response to this? He had hardly a thing to say except this. Now that's someone living out their faith. <laughs> it took a lot to get that out of him. And here's what else is important about her doing what she did. The Confederate flag, if, if, if you know, kind of going back through your American history classes, the Confederate flag, not the Confederacy flag of that group of states that left the Union, but the actual Confederate flag was called to do two things. The first thing it was was a symbol of rebellion against the United States. That's what it was. And they flew it in rebellion. And the second thing that it meant, because symbols are important, that was a symbol for another 150 years that supported Jim Crow laws that put African-American people sort of in their place. It was used by the Ku Klux Klan to intimidate black people who wanted to try to vote, who wanted certain rights. It was used for fear and intimidation. And there were states all over the Union as of two weeks ago that were flying that all over the place. Do you know how many different places are taking that flag down now? in light of what just happened. Now, I'm not saying this young lady or the response of these victims was the entire reason for it, but do you see how forgiveness, do you see how love, do you see how strength in a time of deep despair, living out your faith, do you see what it does, the power it has on other people? I can't stop thinking about it. I can't stop thinking about that act of courage. Because whenever we choose Faith over doubt, whenever we choose hope over despair, or whenever we choose love over fear, we are letting go of our wanting to control everything, our wanting to have control. We're letting go of that. And we're willing to face potential fires that we may have to walk through to demonstrate our love to our faith to a world who needs to see it. And I'll never forget what else this young lady said when she was kind of pressed about that. How can you forgive so easily or quickly? And she said simply this, my granddaddy taught us all to forgive and to love. And you can imagine the history that this man had seen over the course of his life in the deep south and how many times he had a right to be angry and how many times he had the right to feel rejected. And he preached and he preached and he preached forgiveness. And she said, my grandpa would have taught me this. My grandfather would have done this himself. This is the God my grandfather taught me, and this is what I'm going to do. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? That type of response 
choosing faith and hope and love in our most difficult times. Now, I want to give you this encouragement. I want you to take a look at Revelation 21. This is now where the message is going to flip to a lot of hope. No matter what world we live in right now, no matter what decisions are made, no matter what circumstances we face, no matter what burdens we have to carry, this is the promise that we have. In Revelation 21, he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. And to the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. How beautiful is that promise? We hold to that when we carry burdens. We hold to that when we struggle with the fears that we face in this daily life. And, tr- and I know we all walk through hard stuff. We cling to these verses that there's a day coming when the world will be anew. It's when Christ returns. Now what this means to a Christ-centered life, to anyone who longs to know God, to encounter God at a level of his love and his peace and his presence, the fact that he shines brighter than anything in this life, that's how we move from heaviness to lightness. Now here's the deal. Every Sunday, I take this very seriously when I have an opportunity to be here. I know that there's one thing that has to be done every Sunday, and that is the gospel has to be preached. And the gospel is that Jesus died for your sins, he died for my sins, and when we surrender ourselves to him, when we follow him, he is the way to eternal life. That's the gospel. As quickly, not as quickly, as clearly as I can put it, in a short amount of words, which I'm not always good at a short amount of words, but that is how this works. That's the gospel. And we have to remember something about that gospel. We all know when we celebrate Easter Sunday, there's a resurrection, right? Jesus resurrected. But did you know that to get to Sunday, we had to have a Friday? And Friday wasn't so good, was it, for him? I want to read something to you because in preparation for this, I had never read it in this way. But I want to read to you from the book of Mark, chapter 14. I want to share with you what Jesus did when he went to, the, to Gethsemane the day before Friday. John 14, verse 32 says this. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And I, th- and I never read this the way I read it this week and the way I want to convey it now. Notice what happens next. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He confides in them, my soul, this is Jesus talking now, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. And going a little further, Jesus fell to the ground And prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus knows what's coming on Friday. And being very human, he is obviously frightened. There's almost a point where he says, take this from me. I don't know if I can do this, but he does. And what's the reward for the suffering? 
It's the resurrection. I want you to keep that frame of mind. Whenever you face suffering, whenever you face burdens, there wasn't a Sunday without a Friday. There's not a stronger person on this side unless you went through the fires on this side. You see, as Lyle mentioned earlier, this was a God who took on the sins of the world, who took the whippings, who took the nails, who took the punishment, who took the mocking and the jeering and the spitting, and he stayed on that cross, and you know what? He only, the only thing he had to say was, Father, forgive them for what they do. They don't know what they're doing. And we got to stop and have a serious thought about what kind of God is this? I'll tell you what kind of God this is. This is the same God that that minister in Charleston taught his congregation about. And it's the same God that gave his granddaughter the courage and the strength to say, I forgive you even though you may never ask for my forgiveness. That's who this God is. That's the God who we yearn to encounter. We yearn to encounter this God every single day. And so point number one, when you're going through burdens or you're going through stress or you're going through anything that you're struggling with, understand this, you have to go all the way through your fear sometime to get to the other side. And that can be painful, but it also can be refining. How many times can you look back on your life and say, because I experienced this, I'm now a stronger person because of? Pain and suffering is not fun, it's not easy, but sometimes it's necessary. It's a necessary part of our walk on this earth. It's what reminds us that our glory is not here, that our glory is still beyond out there. It's a powerful lesson for us to remember. Secondly, what we can do in the face of struggling and pain is that we can pray for the joy of the moment and we can be thankful for today. I think that is so critical. And I can go into 2 Corinthians where Paul is writing. And I'm not going to read this whole verse, but I want to jump sort of in the middle here where he's talking about the endurance all right. I know a lot of you like to run and bike. I've gotten back into that this summer. Um, my endurance is uh, needing some endurance, but I'm getting there. But I get what it means to endure, to have to ride a bike 100 miles, to run for 10, whatever you can think of, things that you do day to day that you have to endure. And listen to what Paul says here. He's enduring for the faith. He says this, starting in verse 4, Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in, listen to this, listen to what he's going through. In beatings, imprisonments, in riots, hard work, sleepless nights, hunger. He's going on and on through all these things that he is suffering and struggling with. And listen to what he says. Yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. What I would encourage each of us to do when we're walking through a dark moment, when we're walking through a tough day, when we're walking through unbelievable grief or unbelievable suffering is to find one light of thankfulness in that moment. Be thankful for the moment we're here. Be thankful of, the, of today that we have. Be thankful. And thirdly and finally, we need to loosen our grip on the things we can't control. And we have to draw joy in the lightness. And this can be hard to do. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. We don't know when the next medical report is going to give us bad news. We don't know when our children may make a decision that we disagree with. And now what's going to happen 
we can't control a lot of things, but what we can control every single day is drawing near to the God who promises to walk through every single step with us. That's what we can do. And that's why in Ecclesiastes, again, we are reminded this day that you've been given, (laughs) eat your food with gladness, celebrate with those around you, and be thankful with a joyful heart, even in the suffering. Now, to my friend who has gone through this really difficult time, I wanted to send her a book. And so I would highly recommend this for anyone who's walking through a valley or if you want to be prepared to walk through a valley. I, I would just recommend this book. It's called Shattered Dreams, written by a man named Larry Crabb. He's a Christian psychologist. Um, he is a professor at Colorado Christian University and a renowned author. And his whole point of this book, if you want the Cliff's Notes versions, is simply this. God doesn't always respond to us immediately the way we want him to in our times of need or crisis because our, we walk through crisis to grow closer to the eternity of him. And there are lessons to be learned in the struggling. When the dream of experiencing now, he writes, what is reserved for us in heaven is decisively shattered And when the shattering is embraced and not fought, either we'll sink into despair or we will hope in God and wait as faith a firmer foundation and godly way of life. He says when we struggle with something we're suffering with, we can go two ways. We can despair, we can throw in the towel, or we can wait upon God and build through that faith a firmer foundation and a stronger way to love. Now, how do we get there? I want to show you what I have started to do. And it's not because I think I'm some super whatever. Um, I I have to do this by necessity. Josh, can we put that up here for a second? I started reading this book a week and a half ago when when, uh, some of this news was shared with me. And here's my issue. I'm I'm just going to be real honest with you. I have a diagnosis of what would be called prayer ADD. Okay? Okay. When I go to pray in the morning, I can get into about 30 seconds, and guess where my mind starts going? Can anybody relate to this? And when I start praying at night, I end up sleeping or falling asleep. And so I never communicate very clearly, or it feels like I don't communicate enough very clearly with God. The most important relationship I have on this earth is my relationship with Jesus Christ, and I spend less time with him than anybody else. I picture what it would look like if I'm sitting down for dinner with Beth, and I put my cell phone in the middle of the table, and I checked every five seconds my Facebook account, my emails, and my text messages. Can you imagine how that dinner is going to go? You can't be distracted when you're communicating with those who are closest to you. And I'm realizing that I struggle to communicate with Jesus. I struggle to communicate with God. So here's what I did. I put this together. And you can do a variety of ways if you want to try something like this, if you struggle like I do with communicating, with drawing into from that water that that Jesus talks about, this water, this eternal water I give you. We spend a lot of time on chair time. And so every day I'm working through a scripture Something short. I don't want to have some long reading because I want to be able to really focus in on that, go deep, reflect. And then I have to make a list of my daily prayers. And the first thing I want to think about are the needs of my family and my friends. You know, I could call that friend who's going through what she's going through and say, hey, I'm praying for you. Have we ever said that to people? I'll be praying for you. How often do we do it? I have to write their names down because if I don't, I'm going to forget 
Same with the needs of my family. Same with the needs of those who are closest to me. Here's the next one. It's a big one. It's all over the Bible. I have to be willing to offer forgiveness, and I have to know when I need to seek forgiveness. Sometimes i got to write that down. So I write it down. i got sins to confess. i got plenty of them. Driving down here, I can give you three. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, but you, you have sins to confess. You know, somebody cuts you off on the road, you know, you, you get a little angry. No. But there are things I need to be always thoughtful of, things to confess. And then the fourth one, and this is the one I want to spend a lot of time on in that chair time. What am I thankful for? Think of all the blessings that we have. The fact that there's a sunshiny day out there and we're around all of our friends. We're around all the people we love. Just that in itself is a blessing. So what can I be thankful for? And then this is the part that I've kind of added since this sermon because this is so critical for me. I'll move this out of the way. I have to ask myself every morning, what am I gripping today? (laughs) You ever had those days where you wake up, you feel like you're shot out of a cannon, and I got 50 things to check off, and I'm stressed by 6 o'clock in the morning because I'm gripping? I'm gripping. So that quiet time to start the day helps me loosen my grip. I write down the list of things that I know are stressing me out, and I pray over them. God, i got to give this to you because I can't control this. And I don't want it to interfere with my relationships with all the people I'm going to encounter today. I need to give this to you. And I give it away. And then when I go to sleep at night, I need to be thoughtful of what did I receive? What blessings came my way this morning because of God walking next to me? Now, this may sound elaborate. I'm not, encur- I'm not saying everyone should do this, but it's sure helping me. Because if I don't write things down, if I don't actually write out prayers, you know what happens? They just start to drift. They just become another file folder in the six million things that are buzzing around in this head. i got to write it down. And you know what's going to be really cool is if I can do this for a long enough time, how about going back a month or two and taking a look at what, was gri- what I was gripping then versus where I am now? I'm tracking constantly my spiritual health. We put in our planners the things we're doing during the day. We track how many miles. I mean, these Fitbits. Everyone's wearing a Fitbit now to know how many steps they took or calories they burned. We're so worried about our physical health. How's our spiritual health doing? Are you telling me that 20 to 30 minutes of time to do this in a 24-hour day isn't worthwhile? In the most important relationship that I have in my life, my Savior, Jesus Christ, that's got to happen. And because I'm not capable of doing it myself, i got to write it down. So I want to share that with you this morning. And then I want to close with just a quick reading, and then I want to share one last thing. I went a little long today. Big surprise, sorry. But I want to share one last thing with you. Because I thought this was incredible. After all the time we've spent on Galatians 5.22, this is how Larry Crabb describes a Galatians 5.22 life in the midst of of hardship and suffering and pain. I want to read this to you. Listen to what he says. Larry Crabb writes this. He says, His faith and love were sustained by his hope in what he knew lay ahead. He's talking about Jesus. The happiness that anchors our soul and keeps alive our passion for God's vision comes from the faith and love that spring from that hope. Our faith and love to the people who surround us comes from our hope in our eternity. All of a sudden, it washes everything else that we see in this world, all the unfairness, the injustice, the pain, the suffering. 
We start to see that world differently when we know there's an eternal hope, don't we? And because we do that, he says this, imagine yourself, and here are the fruits of the Spirit. Imagine yourself loving a rejecting spouse, a prodigal child, or a critical or pushy friend. Imagine being able to love like that. Imagine radiating joy in a cancer ward when you are the patient. Imagine knowing peace during a financial catastrophe. Imagine exhibiting patience in the most trying circumstance at your work. Imagine being kind to a needy neighbor when you'd rather do anything but. Imagine releasing the goodness of God's nature when your nature is screaming for someone to do something good for you. Imagine faithfully following your call to serve when your only results are possibly more weeds. Serve anyway, faithfully, gently responding to someone who undermines or demeans you. That's a tough one, isn't it? How do you have a gentle conversation with someone you know has tried to hurt you? No one said this was easy, right? Or how about exercising self-control by not succumbing to temptations after a severely disappointing day? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As emerging followers of Christ, that's where we're heading. So I want to close with this. And this is just a spiritual exercise I want you to try because sometimes physically it helps me to actually visualize this when I'm thinking about that prayer. I want you to just make fists. just want you to make fists. I want you to squeeze hard, and I want you to think about what you're gripping. I want you to think about what you're holding on to. And as you do that, there's going to be a short presentation up here. This is a band called U2. If you live somewhere in high school between 1982 and 1994, you're really going to get this. If you're younger, too bad, sorry, just the way it is. But three, four years ago, uh, this is the one major concert that I said I have to do before I die. I have to see these guys in concert. We went to Minneapolis. Beth and I got seats clear at the top of TCF Football Stadium, and Bono comes out and U2 comes out and they start to play where the streets have no name and I thought I was going to spontaneously combust. I just thought my whole body was going to explode. And I'm not afraid to admit I was so emotional there are tears coming down my eyes because I couldn't help the fact I was 60,000 people singing and it was just like, whoa. But here's something really cool. French sent me this on Facebook. Um, they've started to close their concerts now with worship hymns or worship songs. And I chose one from that clip to invite you to do this, just to take some, uh, uh, some time right now, about three minutes to close. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I just want you to close your hands. And I want you just to mentally process, what am I holding on to? What, what am I holding on to that I'm fearful of? What am I holding on to that's getting in the way of relationships that are key to me? What am I, what am I tightening my grip around that needs to let go? And as you open up those hands, I want you to realize when I open my hands, I'm a lot more able to receive now, aren't I, with an open hand? It's the image I want you to leave with today. Take your closed hands that you protect everything with and see what it feels like to walk around with open hands, ready to give and receive. That's how I want to close today. And I want to leave you with this invitation as well. If you've never experienced the decision of following Jesus Christ. You've never made that choice yet. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you. Make that today. We've got baptism Sundays coming up in two weeks. 
the opportunity to leave your old life behind, be washed in a new life, and move on in a new way is the single most important choice that we have in our lives. If you haven't made that decision today, can I ask you what's keeping you from doing that? Because it's not only the joy that comes from the moment, from the life that is ever giving, but it's the eternal promise of what's ahead. So as this plays, let's make a fist. Let's catalog what we're holding on to, and then let's just slowly, in a couple of minutes, just, just release it and let this song just speak to you as we close. I love you all very much, and um, just enjoy this.